Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, and we're currently on season two. Whether you're watching for the first time, or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time, too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show. Thanks for listening. Now, on to the episode. Okay. Okay. Season 2, Episode 19. I only have eyes for you. Shibop, shibop. <laughs> oh yeah, it's that fifties record music. Yeah. And the style, shibop, shibop. the costuming. I really enjoyed that in this episode. I enjoyed the production values, right? They had to like take photos of those actors and then turn like turn the photos into like 1950s faded photos and mock up a yearbook, you know. That so takes cool. work. And sometimes I think the, the set designers and the prop department and stuff get overlooked when we're talking about how good an episode is. So <laughs> let's give them a little credit. Well done, guys. We don't know your names, but we see you. <laughs> we see your work and we admire it. This episode is so good. Yes, I agree. Good episode. It's I think it's a clever episode. Like I think the writing oh, yeah. is really on display. The characterization, the parallels, which we can get into in a little bit. Um, I am with you. I think this is an episode that's probably prone to being overlooked because I think a lot of people might not consider it to be part of the season arc. So they might be like, okay, you know, this is a skippable filler episode. But I think you're making a mistake if you skip this episode because there's a lot of little things in here that are enjoyable. Also, Xander is not as annoying as he normally is. There's a couple of of moments that made me groan, but... Mm -hmm. As far as season two Xander goes, this is Xander on his best behavior. So you've got that to look forward to as well. It's also Willow on her best behavior. I mean, I've been a little iffy about Willow for a couple episodes in the middle of season two here. But she is the sweetest thing in this episode. It's nice to see. She has a lot of professional responsibilities as a teacher now, Stephanie. So Right. She's aged like 15 years. I hope she's getting paid for that gig. She so is not. (laughs) Like She's so (laughs) doing that for free. Um, I really enjoyed this episode. I shed a little tear at one point. So you know if I'm crying, like this is going to be a really good discussion because I have a lot of things to think about. Uh, But yeah, let's get into it because like you're saying, this episode is underrated and it shouldn't be. Everyone should pay attention because it's it's actually so well crafted. So we open up at the bronze and there's a band on stage and a woman is singing. And I'm so sorry. I was going to look up who was singing. And I don't know, but I'm sure it's a whatever fan. it is. I didn't like it. You did not. Okay, so Kara's not a fan. <laughs> Steph is whatever because as the camera pans over the bronze, we see a lot of dancing couples, including Cordy and Xander, who are showing a rare amount of PDA just by dancing together. They like they haven't been touching since they've announced that they're together. You know, they're very, very. I don't know. Like the the spark is gone mm. already. They don't. They're they barely touch each other. Willow is standing alone. 
and she's wearing a giant bulky sweater to the club. I <laughs> don't know why. I love but... her sweater. It's so fuzzy and colorful. I want it. <laughs> Pretty... Yeah, but you're Willow, you're out on a Tuesday night again at the club wearing this giant jumper. So, and also, where's Oz? We haven't seen Oz in a couple of episodes now. We miss him. Seth Green must have been off filming a, a movie somewhere. So Willow's looking up and up on the catwalk on the balcony. Buffy is watching all of the dancing couples by herself, looking pretty sad. And she's approached by a Mitch. This Mitch introduces himself as Ben. And he says that he they had class together last year. And Buffy clearly does not know who this guy is because she only had eyes for Angel last year. <laughs> I see what you did there. Yes, thank you. Is it just me or is that an awkward way to open, like to pick up a girl, right? Is to be like, we had Algebra 2 together last year. Like, <laughs> Well, yeah. And he also is like Sadie Hawkins dance coming up where girls ask guys, Will you ask me? I think that's I also a weird way to go about it. Um, I don't know. I don't, I've never, I've honestly never gone up to a person. I mean, believe it or not, Kara, I've never gone up to somebody and just asked them out point blank. So, oh, I'm sure you never needed to, Steph. They were just lining up <laughs> to ask you out. I'm the Buffy in this situation. <laughs> I watch others forlornly and people approach me because I'm so mysterious, you know? Oh. Uh, but... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if his approach is good. Obviously, it doesn't work in this situation because Buffy claims that she's never going to date again. <laughs> this guy basically says he wants to go on a date with her. Uh, for those of you who don't know, because Sadie Hawkins, I think, is a very traditional American thing. Mm -hmm. And I know my high school didn't have it. I'm sure yours didn't either. Nope. Uh, but it, it might exist in some schools in Canada. I'm not sure. But uh, if anyone out there is a fan of Lil Abner, which used to be a comic book strip, this is where Sadie Hawkins became a thing. Because Sadie Hawkins Day in that comic book was when the unmarried women of Dogpatch, which was their village, they got to chase the bachelors in town. And if they caught one, they would marry them. And I only know this because I watched Lil Abner the musical a lot when I was a child. Sadie Hawkins Day took up the first quarter of that movie. So <laughs> anyway, I'm guessing it's an American tradition. I don't know if it's still happening because it's obviously that big like gender role reversal in the yeah, it, world. It seems to and... me like it's one of those things where it... Like so many things in our society, it appears to be feminist on the surface because it's like, ooh, let's mm -hmm. give the women the power to choose their partner. But it's rooted in patriarchy. And, you know, like <laughs> yeah. you just demonstrated with this comic strip history, um, it's really just accusing women of being constantly interested in finding a man and chaining him to her. Yes. And also the idea that single women are actually just hoping to be married one day. Yeah. So... Buffy is uncomfortable with what's happening, not because of what everything we just mentioned about the patriarchy, but because she's not ready to date. And she does tell uh, Ben this and Ben takes it really nicely. He's just like, OK, yeah, no worries. Like, and then he walks away and Buffy's like, sorry, but you could tell she's really conflicted by what's going on. So she goes downstairs and Willow saw the whole thing. And Buffy says, I'm going to bail. I'm going to go to the library, see if Giles wants me to patrol and then I'm going to sack it as in go to bed. Willow says that, you know, lately she's been all work and no play Buffy. And B 
Buffy says she's just not in the dating mode. And Willow's trying to encourage her to date. And this is a very best friend thing for Willow to do, right? Like, get out there. Be impulsive. Like, you've you just been so down in the dumps. Maybe you need to date a little bit. Maybe She's you need trying to, get out, to save Buffy there. from herself, right? Buffy's punishing herself. Mm-hmm. And I think Willow's recognizing that this is not productive behavior, right? It's like... You know, as long as Buffy's punishing herself, she's A, that's not good for her, but it's also not good for her friendships, right? Nobody likes a friend when they're wallowing in self-pity. So, you know, I think Willow's kind of like, hey, Buffy, like, there's other good things happening around you, right? Willow's very keen on Oz, right? And she's like, (laughs) hey, like, love still exists, um, yeah. So, you know, I think yeah. Willow's trying to nudge Buffy and be like, Buffy, it's okay to be upset and sad over Angel and sad that you made a mistake, but let's not blow this out of proportion. I, I'm with Willow on this. Uh, the thing is, is like, I don't agree that Buffy should be moving on yet in terms of dating. I, mm-hmm. I like what you're saying that Willow is like, at least the punishing yourself should be over. And mm-hmm. part of saying no to this cute boy asking her out is her punishing of herself. Like, I'm never going to date again. I screwed it up. I'm not doing it again. So I, I don't agree that Buffy should move on just yet. Not only because I believe when you break up with someone or when you go through a big life shift like that, you should take time and get to know yourself, you know, mm-hmm. like spend a little time with Buffy, even if it is a little bit sad for you. Uh, but on the other hand, any new person that Buffy brings into her life right now in mortal danger (laughs) this is true and i will point out that something that surprised me over this episode is this ben guy doesn't die this is the last we see of him for the whole episode and because normally when the episode introduces a random character like this we expect them to die by the end of the episode or at least face mortal danger and we don't see this guy again so that was a nice reprieve I agree. You're right. Like, good for you, Ben. You have no idea the bullet you just dodged. So the conversation basically ends because Buffy says that the last time she was impulsive, she slept with her vampire ex-boyfriend. He lost his soul. Now Angel is gone forever and the demon wearing his face is killing all her friends. Oh, boo-hoo. You think you're the first person to turn somebody evil by sleeping with them, Buffy? Come on, get over yourself. Buffy, grow up, okay? Um, (laughs) are we gonna give Buffy a lot of tough love in this episode maybe maybe but um at least we know we're like you know first scene we're gonna be dealing with Buffy's guilt in this episode right this episode's all about letting go letting go of that guilt and moving on right that's what this episode's about so just as Willow as you said Willow says love can be really nice we cut to Sunnydale High where love is not nice. <laughs> uh, a high school couple are fighting super intensely, very dramatically, very over the top. And the guy is basically yelling at his girlfriend and saying, you don't care anymore. Is that it? Tell me you don't love me. Say it. And the girl's like, I don't know. Now let me go. And then the guy's like, a person didn't, doesn't just wake up one day and stop loving somebody. And then he pulls out this old timey gun and he points it at her and says, love is forever. Cut to credits. Ooh, something's happening at the school again. So that's when Buffy happens to come into the school because she said she was going to come and check up on Giles. They've just completely given up on the nighttime security guard. <laughs> Good for 
that. Like, that's actually the best thing that could have happened. Besides Ben getting a reprieve <laughs> and getting to live out the rest of his life in Sunnydale, uh, we don't have to sacrifice any more security guards. Although, I will say, I have things to say about Sunnydale staff in this episode. <laughs> so... Buffy comes up just as the girl is starting to run away. The guy shouts, don't walk away from me, bitch. <laughs> as Buffy and the janitor come running, Buffy takes the guy out who drops the gun. And as soon as she takes him out, the guy says, what happened? And Buffy said he went OJ on his girlfriend. Right. This is such a 90s reference. And Kara, you might not know this about me, but I am obsessed with the OJ simpson case that oh, is my okay. favorite true crime story okay so i i did write down a note to explain what it is for our listeners who are probably not born at that point uh but if you would like to explain it you can probably do it better no, than i can i would i would love for you to do it okay so basically <laughs> um oj simpson was a former nfl player and the juice <laughs> He was called the Juice, yes. Assume, <laughs> I presume because of his name. Um, and in 1995, he was acquitted after a lengthy trial for the murder of his ex-wife, Nicole, and her friend, Ronald Goldman. Rest in peace. What makes this case so interesting and so historically significant is that, first of all, his arrest was highly publicized because there was like a car chase and everything. But also, the the media attention and scrutiny on the day-to-day -day trial for that entire length of the trial was very intense. You know, the 90s were really the first time that trials were being televised to a mass audience. Mm. And the O.J. Simpson trial was the highest profile trial that had ever been televised. It was, you know... at, at ex-football player accused of murdering his wife, basically. So it was all over the news for basically a whole year. I remember it. I was only, what, I, I would be five, six, I was six years old at the time. I remember O.J. Simpson. I remember the controversy over the acquittal, right? Because a lot of people mm -hmm. were like, he so obviously did it. And mm -hmm. in the decades that have elapsed since then, public opinion has shifted ever more firmly in the direction of him being guilty. Like it was, it was uh -huh. very mixed and very polarized at the time um, right. because, you know, it was a rap. OJ Simpson was a black man. So people were divided very much along racial lines at that point. Uh, and things have changed over, over the decades since then. So, you know, it, it's a historically significant moment because of the intersection of race, the justice system and the, the way the media makes a spectacle out of these kinds of things. I, I can't even talk about, like, I'm literally, like, tongue-tied because there's so much to say about that trial and that period in history, in American history, particularly, like, American culture. It's And, oh. It's oh, also what oh. launched the careers of the Kardashians. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think, actually, our younger listeners would know the, you know, the Kardashians. Well, their father, Rob Kardashian Sr., was one of O.J. Simpson's greatest friends and key lawyers on his court case. So there's so much going on with this case. So the fact that Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the series, references it makes so much sense because as much as Buffy is firmly iconic to the 90s, 
oj simpson is too right but it's one of those references where because of how they said it right it's just said in passing if you don't know who oj is it makes zero sense (laughs) yeah you're just like juice (laughs) so i hope that we've provided some context for people so buffy has interrupted this attempted murder in progress and the guy who was about to do the murder has no idea what's going on And he, in fact, says, like, I don't know why I was so mad at her. Like, he can remember being mad. He can remember the emotion. But he has no context Mm. for it. And Buffy kind of lays into him, which, you know, I think is fair. Like, he was pointing a gun at somebody. So, like, that's all the information Buffy has right now. And this is definitely a kick-butt, ask-questions second scenario. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the thing is, is like even the girl vouches for the guy and she says, no, seriously, we were just talking like a couple minutes ago. There's no reason for us to be fighting. And also they realize that the gun is missing. So the gun fell when Buffy hit the guy, but it's gone now. And the janitor also was there to point that out. Which, you know, like you would be like, oh, did the janitor just clean it up really quickly? Like maybe he's just a really good janitor, but apparently not because he doesn't (laughs) know where the gun is. Snyder, Principal Snyder, certainly thinks that something is afoot because the next morning he calls Buffy into his office and Buffy's like, oh, am I here for you to thank me? <laughs> and he's like, uh, what would Sunnydale do without you around to incite mayhem, chaos, and disorder? <laughs> Aw, he you, must Snyder. really like her. Those are such sweet words. <laughs> I don't know. He even, like, blames Buffy for coercing the people in that situation to like to get her off the hook because he like, really believes that like it was her fault for right? whatever happened. And like actually if Buffy hadn't been there you'd have a student death on your hands. <laughs> I know and like also you know Snyder one of your teachers was murdered on campus not too long ago. You already had a school shooting this year during career week so leave Buffy alone focus on other stuff. So that's when a secretary buzzes in and says, Billy Crandall chained himself to the snack machine. Oh, that Billy. (laughs) Snyder calls. He's like, that pathetic little no-life vegan. (laughs) And then he leaves. But he tells Buffy to stay. But he leaves because there's vegans causing mayhem at the snack machine. Snyder has his priorities, right? And, like, he does enjoy (laughs) a little, like, once a week. I bet he calls Buffy into his office at least once a week just to kind of lay into her and be like, I'm watching you. Uh, I bet he pencils it into his calendar but you know (laughs) he's got his priorities and vegans chained to the snack machine take precedence yes but we already know what's in the snack machine and it's animal crackers which is unheard of so well i mean maybe i don't know like logically right animal crackers can't be vegan that just doesn't make any sense (laughs) exactly (laughs) it's the opposite of what they believe in so as he leaves he does turn around to look at buffy and say that she stinks of lies lies (laughs) lies She's not wrong. So she is she's not wrong. She does lie. Yeah, yeah. She does. She does lie a lot. Not well, but a lot. So a book falls out of the shelf by itself. So automatically we're like, what is going on there? Like, ooh, is it a ghost? We haven't seen a ghost since Willow was a ghost in Halloween. Buffy picks it up and it's a yearbook from 1955. And she's like, oh, well, and puts it back. So in Jenny's classroom, Willow is still teaching the class, as you mentioned earlier. She makes a computer joke that shockingly gets a huge laugh from all of her classmates. <laughs> and as all her classmates file out of the class, Giles is at the door and he stopped by to see if she needed assistance, but she seems to have everything under control, he says. So he's actually admiring her teaching, right? 
And Willow said that Miss Calendar had lesson plans on her computer and a bunch of files and internet sites on paganism and magic and stuff. So what's actually quite alarming to me is that no one cleaned up Jenny's stuff from her desk, right? Like all her stuff is still in there. And we kind of got the sense back in Teacher's Pet in season one when Dr. Gregory was eaten and no one cleaned up his stuff either. <laughs> it's still all I mean, there. as somebody who has worked in schools, Stephanie, I have to tell you uh, without any shade to the cleaning staff because that is not their job. Um, yeah, things, teachers, past teachers effects, you know, desk drawers. Really? They, they're always just full of clutter because teachers are slobs and we <laughs> never clean things up unless we are forced to. So really okay so this tracks this is like fact okay well then the, the show is really authentic to <laughs> school life well well done so so this is what i mean by willow is the sweetest in this episode and so caring and nice and her and jazz have a lot of sweet scenes in this episode willow pulls out this necklace and she says she found a rose quartz in jenny's drawer and Jenny had said that it has healing powers and Willow thought that Jenny would want Giles to have it. And it's so fucking sweet. It's so sweet. And it broke my heart because clearly Giles is still grieving Jenny. And this episode is just as much as Buffy in this episode is experiencing guilt and letting go and the process of grieving for something that's lost. So is Giles. And you can tell he is so touched that Willow said this and gave this to him. And I do want to give out a shout out to Zaclean, who wrote in to us to talk about this scene really quickly. And they pointed out that the camera pans out and there's a rose in a glass vase on the corner of the desk. And she wondered if that could be a leftover from Angelus because last time we were in this classroom was Passion. And we know that he likes to leave roses lying around Ooh, as gifts. Good catch. I know. And I was like, you know what? It does track for Angelus to keep rubbing it in. Like, I could, I could totally picture him leaving little roses and stuff at their houses, at their front door, on their desk. And then they maybe they don't even know it's from him. But it's like his ever-present, like, looming presence, you know? <laughs> so, good catch. Like Tuxedo Mask. Oh, don't even talk to me about Tuxedo Mask. The second hottest man on TV after <laughs> Angel. <laughs> so... Buffy is in class and she's about to fall asleep. I don't know what class this is. It sounds like they're talking about economics. But suddenly she gets moved into a flashback. It like flashes and all of a sudden we're in the 50s and everyone's wearing poodle skirts and they're talking about the Sadie Hawkins dance, all the students around her. And Buffy watches as a male student approaches a woman teacher and uh, she asks him if he enjoyed the Hemingway book that she lent him. And as they talk about the book... He reaches out and touches her hand, and then they pull away quickly as the door opens. So, uh, some sort of 1955 student-teacher relationship we're going to be dealing with. Inappropriate. Inappropriate. And I will, you know what? I'm just going to say it right now, though. Like, I know the 50s was a different time. Doesn't mean it's not inappropriate, because it is. But but people looked the other way in a lot of cases back then. I don't think they would, though. I say that specifically, and I'm outing my grandmother here <laughs> because she was 16 and my papa was 24 or 25 when they got together. 
and had a baby. So, and I, I did ask her one time, I was like, was that weird? <laughs> or what did your parents think and stuff? And she said, it was fine. All my friends were dating like 24, 25 year olds. And I was like, oh my, oh my. <laughs> so make with that what you will. Does not mean it's not inappropriate, like I'm saying, but I do wonder if, like, the headspace around that stuff back then was a little bit different. Mind you, my, I will add, my papa was not my nanny's teacher. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I don't th know that's where I'm saying, like, I think they'd be very judgmental there because, you know, teaching was one of the few professions that women could do, like, unmarried women could do. Um, and I don't know if this was still true in the 50s, but certainly earlier than that, if you were uh, a woman who was a teacher, you were expected to leave the profession after you got married. So, oh, okay. Yeah, there's a, there a lot of policing around your relationships and propriety. Uh, and teachers were held and continue to be held to a much higher standard when it comes to propriety. So, <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, and I should be more clear. Uh, uh, like The inappropriateness is for sure the teacher-student dynamic. And yeah. obviously the age gap is a problem too. After this, the flat, the flashback goes and Buffy's back in her present day classroom. And as her teacher is writing on the chalkboard, he's saying something completely different as he's writing. But what he writes is, don't walk away from me, bitch. <laughs> and all the students laugh and he's like, oh, God, and he erases it. And don't you just hate when that happens to you, Kara? I'm sure when you're Absolutely. teaching, you, you write these... that all the time. So, yeah, it's all the profanity, you know, I just I keep writing all of these awful, like, racist, sexist things on my chalkboard. And you know, the worst thing, Steph, I don't mm. even have a chalkboard. And it keeps <laughs> so, happening. So, so someone explained this to us how this happens. But like, this is a classic teacher problem that everyone goes through. So again, like, here's another example. I, like, I'm not ready to talk about it quite yet. But like, the teachers in this episode get it so bad it sucks for them so we're in the hallway Buffy's telling Xander that something weird is going on and he says that's the school motto right like something weird is happening this time though it's bugging Buffy and we already know that Buffy's kind of in a weird headspace now anyway but uh the things that are happening around her she's taking to heart and Xander is opening his locker and saying that this all just sounds like hellmouth light stuff to me and that's when a hand reaches out of his locker, grabs him, and starts, like, manhandling him. And Buffy manages to get the arm off him, and they close the locker door. And then when they cautiously open it again, nothing is there. And I will say that this jump scare genuinely scared me. Because as much as I enjoyed this episode, it doesn't mean I remembered it very well from, mm -hmm. you know, my decade-ago watch. But yeah, it scared me. I was like, oh my God, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. So they go to the library and uh, and they tell Willow and Giles what's going on. Xander says that he was accosted by a locker monster. And uh, Buffy talks about the history teacher's chalkboard thing. So Giles says it sounds like a paranormal phenomenon. And Xander says it's way more angry than just a ghost. And Giles says it could be a poltergeist. And Willow wants to know why it's here and does it just want to scare people? And Giles gives some exposition and says it doesn't know what it wants. That's the trouble. Many times the spirit is plagued by all manner of worldly troubles. Being dead, it has no way to make peace. So it lashes out and grows more confused and angry. And Buffy says it's just a normal teenager, but dead. And they realize that the only way to stop it would be to help it resolve its unresolved issues. And Buffy makes a reference to Dr. Laura. She's like, oh, so we're like Dr. Laura for the deceased. 
and they have to find out who the spirit was. And I don't know who Dr. Laura is. Maybe that's, you know, maybe that's somebody from the 80s. I or 90s. assume she's like Dr. Phil. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, like one of those TV <laughs> people Phil. who's technically a doctor, but I wouldn't want them to do any kind of like psychology on me. <laughs> yeah, 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 they have the training, but they're more of like a showboat like <laughs> for TV. That night... The janitor, whose name is George, is mopping the halls, and a teacher named Miss Frank is passing by, and clearly these two do not know each other that well, because she asks him if his name is George, and at first I was like, rude, you don't know the janitor's name, but then I'm like, mm, I'm sure the turnover for janitors, just like security guards in Sunnydale High, is probably very high. Yeah, I'm sure, like, maybe yesterday was his first night, right? <laughs> oh! So I want to say that these two care, these two people, just in this small little conversation, they seem like the nicest people in the world. Like they're so nice. They have to die. I know they're too nice for this world, for this Sunnydale world. So as she's passing him, suddenly George drops his mop and they launch into the same argument that the couple had had the night before. And I was wondering Kara if you would like to reenact the scene with me because I wrote it down <laughs> okay okay I want to be George I want to be the janitor okay which means you can be Miss Frank sounds good okay so George says you can't make me disappear just because you say it's over there's no way we can be together no way people will ever understand accept it is that what this is about what other people think no I just want you to be able to have some kind of a normal life. We can never have that. Don't you see? I don't give a damn about a normal life. I'm going crazy not seeing you. I think about you every minute. I know, but it's over. It has to be. Come back here! We're not finished yet. You don't care anymore, is that it? It doesn't matter what I feel. Then tell me that you don't love me. Say it! Will that help? Is that what you want to hear? I don't. I don't. Now let me go. No! A person doesn't just wake up one day and stop loving somebody. Love is forever. And scene. <laughs> Thank you, Kara. Uh, I'm sure we're both going to get an Emmy very soon for that. Uh, that's when George pulls out the old-timey gun, which came out of nowhere, and points it at Miss Frank. Meanwhile, Giles is still in the library and hears the argument and George shouts, don't walk away from me, bitch. <laughs> so also, this is interesting. And I never noticed this before. Giles also hears a female voice say, I need you. And he says, Jenny. He continues to follow the voices and he goes out into the hallway and sees George shoot Miss Frank. And all of a sudden, Miss Frank is no longer in the hallway. She's on the balcony and she falls off it. As George turns and runs, Giles tackles him. The gun slides away and disappears. And George says, what's going on? And Giles says, you shot a woman. And George looks so confused. So here's my... Justice for George! <laughs> like, we never see this friendly, nice, sweet janitor again. Later, they talk a bit about how, like, the police got involved. He killed her. Like, Miss Frank is dead. Yeah, he's totally going to jail. But, like, it's unjust, and we never hear from him again. And I'm just, like, heartbroken for this man who was only coming to help, you know, and who was only doing his job. It's not fair. Well, he should have thought of that before he applied to work at Sunnydale High, right on the Hellmouth, right? Like, 
Oh, poor George. He's not dead, but like, rest in peace, George. I'm thinking of you, man. And also, Miss Frank, rest in peace, who actually died just because she left work you late. Know, it's, it's possible that if he had an okay lawyer, right, they could get him off on like charges of not being responsible, right? Because if he had no memory of doing it and he claims he has no idea what was going on, then they could probably get some leniency there in terms of his sentencing. But I, I'm totally with you, Stephanie. This is the fallout. And we don't get to find out about what happens to these characters. And like Miss Frank, Miss Frank had a family <laughs> and she's left loved ones behind. And yeah, they just callously get killed off. Although I will say like the body count in this episode is fairly low for a Buffy episode. So, oh, but yeah, it's just not fair. So we cut to this beautiful mansion that is very maintained with a beautiful garden. And I don't know, perhaps Angel killed everybody inside the mansion so they could have it. I don't know what's happening, but Oh, they definitely did. What do you think he like called up a real estate agent? It was like, do you have any vacant mansions with immaculate <laughs> gardens for rent? No, they found a mansion and they, they probably didn't kill the owners right away. They probably like imprisoned the owners and then have slowly been feeding on them and torturing them for a few days <laughs> okay see this is the thing i i guess when i was younger if the show didn't show me very specifically what they did i don't think it happened just like <laughs> you know it's still shocking this episode made it more clear to me than ever before that angelus and Drusilla are fucking that they are banging probably oh, yeah. in front of spike and remember i told you i didn't know like i didn't realize but this episode made it more clear than ever to me, and I don't know how I missed it before, <laughs> but I'm guessing it's because if you didn't show it to me, Buffy, I didn't think it happened, you know? Angel is all over Drusilla. Like, even physically, it's, like, so intensely erotic, you know, that even I, as an asexual person who <laughs> flirting I, goes over my head, but I totally got the messaging here. They're doing it. And oh, Angel... Okay is rubbing it in Spike's face. Yes, okay, so this is this is why everyone should take a decade before they rewatch a show because I, my mind was like, "Oh my god, they're fucking." Like I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know. So what we're talking about is Drusilla, Angelus, and Spike are moving into this mansion. Drusilla loves it. She's all over the garden. Spike <sighs> is being his miserable self. He's still in a wheelchair and he's like, oh great, big windows, lovely gardens. It'll be perfect when we want the sunlight to kill us. And <sighs> Spike has been in a very bad place for a number of episodes now. And he's just getting really whiny. I mean, I, I, it's because like he's having to probably watch or hear and be around Angelus and Drusilla doing it all oh, the time. Oh, you know he's got the super vamp hearing, right? So he can totally hear them banging. Unless he's got like headphones and he like puts on some heavy duty rock music. Yeah. And and like the constant ableism and bullying that Angelus is doing to Spike. Like Angelus is edging Spike out. He does not want Spike there anymore. I think the more that he bullies him, the more he's just like, just get out of here, man. Like, Drusilla's mine. She's always been mine. You're second. Leave, right? I think you mean freezing Spike out. Edging has a very different connotation in this situation, Steph. <laughs> so Angel is using ableist language towards Spike again. You know, he's like, hit the stairs, you know, stand, make a stand and get out of here. 
And uh, Spike points out that their old place was fine, but Angel's the reason they're in this new place because he burnt the old place down. That's when, like you said, Angelus is like caressing Drusilla with the jasmine flowers that she loves. And Spike gets so pissed and wheels away. And this episode made it more clear than ever just how dark of place Spike is in. Like he's depressed. He's incredibly jealous. His anger is festering and festering and festering. And frankly, like, I'm kind of sick of his whining. Like, I think by the end of this episode, we'll see a little change up. But throughout this part of the episode, I was like, ugh, Spike, you're so, like, <laughs> you're just whining. You're just, like, everyone says that Angel is a brooder. Spike's a brooder, so. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely possible to simultaneously empathize with the position that Spike is in. And also find his response to that incredibly annoying. So at the school, Giles is telling Willow and Buffy what, about what he saw the night before. And again, like, poor George, the janitor remembered nothing. And he knew he killed the woman, but he didn't know why. And it's just like, oh, he's got to live with that for the rest of his life. These people had no intimate relationship and the gun is missing. So obviously a lot of paranormal activity is happening. And Giles thinks that it's Jenny. He thinks that because she died under tragic circumstances at the school, uh, she's now trapped there. And the Scoobies are automatically uncomfortable by this conversation because I none of them believe this is the case, but they know that Giles is reaching here, but they mm -hmm. understand why he's reaching, right? So it's really uncomfortable. And Buffy says, okay, but like, what about the couple situation? Like, it's very specific and... Willow says, but what about the gun? Like, Angelus didn't kill Jenny with a gun. And Giles says he appreciates their thoughts on the matter. And he's like, I encourage you to always challenge me when you feel it's appropriate. You should never be cowed by authority. Except, of course, in this instance, when I am clearly right and you are clearly wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's a funny little exchange there. In Jenny's classroom, uh, Willow, Xander, and Buffy are discussing how weird Giles is being. And Buffy says he just misses Jenny and he can't think straight. And then she adds that this is just a little more fallout from my love life. So again, we're seeing that Buffy is blaming herself for everything. It's Buffy's fault that she slept with Angel. It's her fault that he lost his soul and became a monster. And it's her fault that that monster killed Jenny, which is why... Giles is sad and hurting. Willow starts looking into the shootings at the school for alternative ghost stories. And she immediately pulls up a story but that a student murdered a teacher on the night of the Sadie Hawkins dance. And the rumor was that they were having an affair and she called it off. So he killed her, then went to the music room to shoot himself. She says it all fits the gun, the Sadie Hawkins dance. And Buffy correctly says that this happened in 1955. So... The scene cuts to Buffy showing them the yearbook that she had seen in Snyder's office earlier. I'm guessing she broke into his office to get it again. And uh, we get names for these this couple. The boy was James and the teacher was Grace Newman. Buffy points out that she dreamt about these guys the other day. Xander says that Buffy's dreams are getting wicked accurate. And has she ever dreamt of him coming across big cash or the love of a woman in a full body sense yeah this was the point where i messaged you and was like you know it took 18 minutes for xander <laughs> to annoy me in this episode because he's been really good up until this point he's had some great one-liners no complaints but then you gotta go and ruin it xander by first off objectifying all women in general 
And then mm-hmm. second off, like, you have a girlfriend. Yes. And I'm sorry if Cordy isn't physically satisfying you, but maybe there's a reason for that. Yes, Xander. And I don't want to give you tips on how to get Cordy to have sex with you, but maybe try being a nice guy to her. Maybe show her some love and affection and don't try to cast black magic on her to take away her free will. Like, there's a lot of things that you could do to get Cordy to touch you physically. But maybe this also has to do... I mean, like, lately, like I said earlier, like, these two have been so untouchy ever since they've declared that they're together. Last time we saw them making out was phases. And then since then, like, we've seen them dance a little bit, and then that's it. Mm -hmm. And then do all this petty exchange stuff. So... I don't know. I, I'm glad. I don't think Cordy should let him touch her ever. But <laughs> don't say it like this, Xander, all right? Mm-hmm. Buffy says that James couldn't make the teacher love him, so he killed her, and that makes him a sicko. And Buffy is taking immediate offense to this story, right? And Willow points out he was smart, he was on the honor roll, and Xander says, well, he killed a person, then killed himself. Those are the two dumbest things that you could do. And Willow is actually showing some empathy for James. And she's like, well, I feel bad for him. And Buffy says that she feels lousy for her. He's a murderer and he should pay for it. Now, I've got a lot of notes about this scene because Buffy goes on to say something incredibly bad. (laughs) But also the nuance of this relationship, right? We've already discussed a little bit of, you know, why it's inappropriate. But there's a lot of things to unpack with this Mm -hmm. storyline. So the first thing we should talk about is what Buffy says. So after this, Buffy says, James should be doing 60 years in a prison, breaking rocks and making special friends with Roscoe, the weightlifter. So this is a prison rape joke. And Mm -hmm. prison rape jokes are not funny right there it's no I mean, bueno. rape jokes in general right no no rape jokes in general are not funny but i think a lot of people might think that the whole prison justice thing mm-hmm. making a joke about it might come more freely to somebody than a straight up rape joke right and mm-hmm. i think a lot of people would have different views on what is acceptable justice in this world but that doesn't mean that we should make light of rape in any sense or turn it into a joke Mm -hmm. we shouldn't wish rape on anyone even criminals i just think there's (laughs) a line yeah so the the way they so casually threw this joke in is another example of like how this is not aging well at all not that it was ever going to be appropriate but we're just more sensitive to this kind of language nowadays so that's on prison rape jokes but that being said we talked a bit about the power dynamic between James as a student and Miss Newman as the teacher. And that's very obvious, right? And we've already come down on the fact that it's not good because in Teacher's Pet, Miss French and Xander and the other boys in that high school had a similar dynamic. Yeah, we had a quite an extensive conversation at that <laughs> point about how the, the gender swapping here is interesting because when we talk about inappropriate relationships between adults in positions of authority over um, adolescents, often the context is, you know, the older person is male and the younger person is female. And that works into our stereotypical narratives about how women and girls need defending and their honor needs defending and protecting so that they can remain chaste virgins until marriage, right? 
So, you know, I, I think it's important to point out and acknowledge, just as we did in Teacher's Pet, that when you swap genders like this and you have a, a woman in a position of power over an adolescent, whether they're male or female or any gender, then that's also inappropriate and, un and unacceptable and can constitute rape as well. Mm -hmm. So it's not about always like men abusing women and girls, right? It's about the power dynamic and it's about the fact that ultimately, right, if you are in that position of power as a teacher, you are the one who should, like, Ms. Newman should never have allowed it to get that far. Yes. And I mean, we don't have all of the facts. And I think that in the real world, there could possibly have been other more complex things going on. I'm not trying to apologize for Grace, but I'm just saying, like, you know, she's. it seems like she was a younger teacher and she may, she may have thought of herself as being in, like, a difficult place, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, if James were kind of like pressuring her mm -hmm. and she was afraid to, that if he said something, she would lose her job. So she kind of like allowed things to go too far, right? Like I could see how a lot of what happened could be chalked up to Grace being young and inexperienced as well. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, that's not an excuse. Uh, and I don't think that we need to speculate and try to find reasons to let her off the hook, right? So the it, it's interesting because neither of them are innocent. No. Because Grace, <laughs> yeah, like Grace, you know, did something wrong. And then James also did something wrong by shooting her, right? Yeah. So it's, it's that situation of like two wrongs do not make a right. And the actions of one does not absolve, justify, or excuse the actions of the other. Yeah, it's like... On one hand, James is a victim of abuse and, you know, you could say, okay, well, he's a victim of abuse and he snapped and he shot his abuser. So you could look at it from that lens mm -hmm. or you could look at it as a scorned lover who cannot handle rejection. So he shoots his girlfriend and that both of those things are terrible. And that's why yeah. this is such an interesting conversation because no one's right and no one is wrong. Like Willow having sympathy for James and Buffy thinking James should and thinking that James is the bad guy here. You're both not wrong. And you said it earlier, like that gender swapping of like the female teacher and the male student. Well, there's a lot of gender swapping in this in this episode. We'll see later mm -hmm. on um, a lot of ways that they play with that theme. And let's just think about this whole storyline overall and the fact that Buffy just made that prison rape joke if the student had been the female and the teacher had been the male and the female student shot her male lover would Buffy still say that she deserves getting raped in prison yeah I, th I think there are a lot of internalized assumptions going on here about mm -hmm. um, power dynamics and stuff among genders so yeah that's a good question you know this episode brings up a lot of these kinds of issues and i don't think they addressed it very well in teacher's pet but like you were saying i think this scene in particular because each of the three characters takes on a slightly different perspective it does allow the writers to acknowledge that there is nuance happening here mm -hmm. and that that serves the episode very well as we carry forward because I think what this scene does is it allows the writers to acknowledge all of those nuances and issues. And then from this point on, the event that we're discussing that keeps being replayed in ghost form is going to be shifted from Grace and James's story into a parallel for what's happening between Buffy and Angel, culminating, of course, in the climax. 
And so I, I think the writers with this scene were trying very deliberately to say, look, like we know there's lots of issues here. There's lots to unpack, but we're just going to get it all out. <laughs> and then we are going to shift our focus because what we're really trying to do is use this situation as an analogy for the dynamic between Buffy and Angel. And I think that's very interesting. And I, I've got some more thoughts on that later. Yeah. And I do want to say uh, that the writers did a really good job with the scene because, I mean, once again, we're, you know, when we did Teacher's Pet, you and I were like, what are you guys doing? And then here, like you're saying, <laughs> the nuance is like, that okay. <laughs> so here it's like, okay, this is way better writing. This, uh, like, we can have an actual discussion. We see where everyone's coming from. Like, it's, it's good. This is a good scene. So, they guess that it's a ghost that they're de- that the ghost that they're dealing with is James because it's so violent. And Willow suggests that because Miss Calendar has all those pagan sites on her computer, they should find a way to communicate with James and find out what he wants. And Buffy says, "Who cares what he wants? We need to shut him down before some other innocent guy goes and kills some poor nice girl and then blows his brains out all over the music room wall." So that's Buffy's guilt over not killing Angelus when she could mm-hmm. right yeah she's like oh my god like because somebody didn't stop james in time now this woman's dead and it's the same thing you know i didn't stop Angelus in time and now jenny's dead parallels upon parallels and uh xander made me laugh here because right after buffy says that very <laughs> you know debbie downer thing to say xander's just like okay who's hungry <laughs> <laughs> and they shoot to the cafeteria. So it, it's past a day in the cafeteria. I do love me some spaghetti. And Cordelia goes to sit with the Scoobies with her lunch tray. And she's saying that she wants to boycott Sadie Hawkins because the girls have to ask the guys and they have to pay. Whose genius Ugh. idea was this? <laughs> Cordy, right? Cordy always with the hot takes. I know. I know. And Cordelia, probably the richest girl in school. I have to pay for something. So Xander says some hairy-legged feminist probably. Oh, thanks, Xander. Come up with that. Who told you I don't shave my legs, Xander? <laughs> uh, so Cordelia says we need to nip this in the bud, otherwise things are going to get really scary. And then famous last words, Cordy, because everyone's pasta turns into snakes, and one jumps up and bites Cordelia in the face. <laughs> so. The, the cafeteria is full of snakes. Outside, it's pandemonium. There's, like, snake catchers. Like, snake snake people are there to catch the snakes. Yeah, uh, some kind of animal control or whatever. But yeah, there it is. <laughs> you, you use the right word, pandemonium, because I don't know, like, if this were to happen in the school, right, you think they would, like, evacuate the students right away and send them home. But no, they're just, like, milling around. And... It's unclear to me if the snakes are everywhere in the school or just in the cafeteria. I guessed just the cafeteria, but you're right. Like, because it just appears when you, it, it pans, it's a huge shot. It pans over like the high school and the lawn and everything in the street. And there are students running amok. Like they're running everywhere. Ambulances are there. Cops are there. Media is there. Like it's just a, a really busy scene. Cordelia is being treated by a paramedic and Xander sitting next to her in the ambulance. She's and she's like, she's going to be scarred and swollen. Why didn't the snake just kill me? <laughs> and uh, we need a little comic relief. Oh, poor Cordelia. I mean, truly, she's the one who's suffering in this episode, right? It's so true. I know. Uh, 
and I actually couldn't believe that she got bit in the face by a snake. That's so brutal. Um, Snyder is talking to the police chief. I think he had a badge, so I assumed he was a chief. And uh, they are tr- <laughs> they are thinking of a cover up, right? And he say the chief is saying schoolboy pranks, and Snyder saying no. It's not good enough. And the chief suggests sewer. The sewer got backed up. I I feel like the prank angle is more believable than the sewer backing up. Well, like how many snakes are in your sewer? (laughs) It just, yeah, it just, I I, I could believe a couple of like seniors organizing a prank where they dump a whole bunch of snakes in the cafeteria. Like that makes sense to me. Snakes coming up from the sewers suddenly like that. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so this is a great and very significant little moment because it's reminding us of what we learned earlier in the season, which is that Snyder and at least some members of the police, and now we've learned at least some people on city council and the mayor of Sunnydale, they know about the Hellmouth. They know that the Hellmouth is underneath the high school. They deliberately appointed Snyder to this position. Because apparently the city decides who runs the high school. Um, you know, they they gave Snyder this job because they thought he was the right guy to keep everything under control. And he thought he's the right guy. So we're seeing that Snyder's actually the middleman here. And he's getting a lot of pressure from up above to keep everything on the hellmouth under control. Which is, it puts Snyder in a really interesting position for us, right? Because mm-hmm. on the one hand... He gives Buffy a hard time, so he's, you know, an antagonist. But on the other hand, he seems like he's on the good guy's side, right? He's not evil. He's not looking to open the Hellmouth. He's looking to keep it shut as tightly as he can. So I'm just, I'm so intrigued about where the show is going with this and how much more they're going to show us about who else in Sunnydale is in the know and what does that entail? Because Snyder seems like he's decent but as we all know power corrupts so at some point along the way we're, we're gonna have to encounter humans who know about the hellmouth and are probably against everybody else's better judgment trying to exploit it for money or power yeah and this is the first mention of the mayor and when the chief brings up the mayor as in like you need to take it up the mayor if you don't like it snyder gets a little fearful look and he's like i'll handle it right so yeah yeah like i know a lot of shows like to talk the talk that they map out their first few seasons that they know exactly where everything is going but buffy the vampire slayer walks the walk and we we will say nothing else about that we won't say anything else about that but i'm just saying we've said in the puppet show and we said in school hard and now we are here like there's more going on in the bigger world than snyder and we're learning it's going mm-hmm. up and up and up. Police chief, city council, and the mayor. So, Buffy's house. And Willow is saying that they shouldn't contact the spirit to talk to him. The time for touchy-feely communication is past. The only solution is the final solution. And I found this a very interesting thing for Willow, who is Jewish, to say. And I don't yeah, think I would have caught that, that was... when I was younger. But I caught it now. Yeah, anytime somebody uses the phrase final solution, Mm -hmm. I'm always like, unless they're literally, you know, explaining Hitler's plan for Nazi Germany, um, I'm just like, you probably shouldn't use that phrase. Like, there's many other phrases you can use that mean the same thing, but don't have that historical connotation. And as you just pointed out, with Willow being Jewish, it's like, what's going on here? And then Xander makes a joke 
that it's like nuking the school, which when he opened his mouth, I thought he was going to make the connection to Nazi yeah. Germany. But of course, he's not that intelligent. <laughs> but like, he's like, what? Nuking the school? And it, and it's, I mean, that's that's also not a good joke, right? Like talking about school shootings and bomb mm-hmm. threats and just like, yeah, there's something about that set of lines that doesn't sit with me. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Willow says, no, we're not going to nuke the school. Uh, we're going to do an exorcism. Yay! And Cordelia, <laughs> who's there, by the way, yeah, um, because she wants to be involved. She's like, oh, I saw that movie and I don't want to do this because everybody died. Even the priests died. <laughs> so thanks for chiming in, Cordelia. We really appreciate and value your input. You're a valuable member of the team. She's not wrong. And I think she, like it's good that Cordelia gets to be the voice of reason here because she's like, well, guess what? I've seen the movie. I know how this ends. It's not good. So Willow says that the balcony is where the original teacher died in 1955 and as well as Miss Frank last night. Rest in peace. So that's the hot spot of all the bad mojo. So what they're going to do, the Scoobies are going to create a Mangus tripod, <laughs> a classic Mangus oh, tripod. I love it when they do that. Yes, I love Mangus tripods. One person chants in the hot spot. The other three form a triangle around them at different areas of the school and this triangle binds the bad spirit and keeps it from doing any more harm buffy says she'll go to the hot spot xander says this james guy ghost is focusing on buffy with the book and the dreams so would she be able to handle it and buffy says she truly hopes he'll show because this time it's personal (laughs) i don't know but she got really intense about that I do love that the Scoobies are all coming together to do, like, group witchcraft. I find this very intriguing in this episode. I, I liked mm-hmm. it a lot. So uh, the four of them go to the school late at night. As they enter, they all have they all say that they know where their places are. They have to light the candle and do the chant at midnight exactly. Willow has made them all scapulas, uh, which you wear around their, your neck for protection. Cordelia points out that it smells like grandpa's breath. And Willow says that she had to use sulfur, but it works. That's when all the school doors violently close. Why were they all open in the first place beats me, but they all close on them. And it's actually pretty spooky to see. At the mansion, Drusilla is digging the garden and she's speaking in her weird way. And she's saying that she wants to sleep naked in a hole. (laughs) I was like, girl, same. I mean, yeah, right? That's <laughs> that's gold right there. So Drusilla falls to the ground and she just starts laughing and she's she's having a vision. And Angelus and Spike are with her in the garden. And Angelus, he says, incoming. I love when she does this. And you can tell that Angelus truly has so much affection for Drusilla. Like, no wonder he turned her, right? Like, he... Keep saying that he was obsessed with her when he when she was a human, so he turned her a vampire. Well, that obsession is continuing because he just like the the glee in which he watches her have this vision is he's like this is my creation, like this is <laughs> the culmination of my evil. Angel crawls up close to Drusilla, and Spike asks her what she saw. Drusilla says that the gate is opening, the gate is black, it wants the Slayer, and it's time, Angel. She's ready for you now. She's dancing with death. So basically, she's saying it's a good time for you and go to go and kill her because she's vulnerable. And Spike says that Angel won't do anything. Angel likes to talk, but he's not much for action. And I think that Spike is saying this because it's going to entice Angel to go. And then maybe the Slayer will kill him. And then all his problems will be solved, right? I agree. 
Angelus grabs Drusilla from behind really aggressively and says, I don't know about that, as he, like, begins to, like, sexually grind up on her. Do, do you think that they're doing it, Steph? <laughs> I don't... I didn't physically see them doing it, therefore they're not doing it. <laughs> I, I, hey... Like, yep. like, it's so obvious. Again, I'm kind of surprised the network censors allowed this through. I know. And, like, honestly, like, 15-year-old Steph was, like, like could not read subtext, I guess, like, at all. So, Angelus is saying the Slayer thing has run its course. He's ready to focus his energy elsewhere. With you being special needs, boy, ugh, I figure I should stick close to home. You and Drew could always use another pair of hands. And as he's saying this, right, he's he's down by Drusilla's legs and he's feeling her up like with his hands. And Drusilla has like a look of ecstasy on it. And when he mentions a pair of hands, it doesn't show him, but it shows Drusilla's face. And Spike is looking on horrified. And I'm like, oh my god, Angel's fingering Drusilla in the garden in front of Spike. I know he is. And oh my god, they're banging. Oh my god, this is so sexual. You're right. How did this get past the censors? But more importantly, how did this get past Steph's eyes? I I can't wait for the TikTok clip of this. <laughs> my hot steak on TikTok. They're banging! And like every single comment will be, yeah, fucking duh, Steph. Like duh. <laughs> I'm shook. I'm shook. I'm shook. So back at the school, Willow is heading to her checkpoint when Giles comes out of the library and they scare each other. <laughs> and this is a weird scene because Giles is saying that he's trying to contact Jenny. And he does ask Willow what the smell is. And she's like, oh, it's just my scapula. <laughs> and he's like, oh, did you use sulfur? That's very clever. And they have like a little moment of understanding of witchcraft between them. Well, yeah, but he's he's not showing any curiosity into why Willow's there. Yeah. And what they're up to. And I think what this is meant to show us is how Giles is just so completely wrapped up in his grief and his desire to contact Jenny mm -hmm. that he's he's really letting down the side when it comes to watching over Buffy and the yeah. Scoobies. He, he's not even curious about why they're hanging around the school at night and what they might be doing with scapulas. So <laughs> his, his like absent-mindedness and his lack of focus is, is a sign of just how incredibly deep He's gone into his grief. Yeah. And it's also the fact that he's not concerned. Like, I mean, it's one thing to be curious. I'm like, what are you doing here? But it's more like, okay, you know that Jenny died really late at night at the school. And then you see Willow walking around the school by herself and there's paranormal activity happening. Wouldn't you be more concerned? But instead he's like, okay, well, run along. You know, it's going to be dangerous over here. So off you go, you know? So Cordelia is in one of the school's bathrooms and she's looking in the mirror at her bandaged face. And Xander goes to the cafeteria, which is still full of snakes. And Buffy is walking up toward the balcony, but she's hearing, I only have eyes for you. <laughs> Shibosh -shib Um, Coming from the music room. She looks through the window of the music room door and sees that the ghosts of James and the teacher are dancing together. Suddenly, James's face turns into like this like gross, moldy demon looking. Yeah, that seemed really random. Yeah, it's just like the horror element, right? And suddenly Cordelia, who's still looking at her face in the mirror, she, it, she gets these huge blister like scars all over her face and she screams. And suddenly Willow is being sucked into the floor and she's calling for Giles. And I will say here, I prefer Cordelia's scream to Willow's. I think Cordelia is really good at screaming. 
But Giles comes out to help her and he pulls her out and they fall down the stairs together. And just as Buffy is getting to the balcony and she gets a flashback of James shooting the teacher on the balcony. And then James goes to the music room uh, with the gun to shoot himself. That's when the demon James or the poltergeist James or whatever jumps out, grabs Buffy and says, get out. And nothing happens to Xander, of course. (laughs) So... After James scares Buffy, um, everything goes back to normal and the floor is no longer a hole. Cordelia's face is fine. And Willow grabs Giles, looks him in the eye and says, Jenny could never be this mean. And this is such an important scene because Giles says, I know it's not her. Mm -hmm. Giles has to come to terms that as much as he wishes that Jenny was reaching out to talk to him, it's not the case. And I think this is so, this is such a delicate way to show this side of somebody's grief. And I totally relate to this. I did this too. uh, When I was missing somebody, you try to find them in anything you can. And a big part of letting go and a big part of grieving is understanding that you are not going to see them anymore. That, That literally like that they're gone. So yeah, it's very sad that Giles really truly believed and tried his best to be like, I might get to see her again, or I might get to talk to her or feel her presence one more time. And that's heartbreaking. So I really love that Willow is the one that says to him, Jenny would never do this to us. And it kind of wakes Giles up to that. And um, I think uh, this is when Giles starts to really truly believe that she's gone. And he starts to let go from here, right? You can see it in his body language. Anthony Stewart had it so good in this scene. I agree. Yeah, so that's when the bell chimes. And I was like, since when does the school have a clock tower? <laughs> or a bell tower? Since they needed one. <laughs> it was installed last week, right? The savings from firing the security guards allowed Snyder to buy the bell tower he's always wanted. <laughs> How convenient. (laughs) So Will lights her candle with Giles' help and um, she starts to say the incantation and she's like, I shall confront and expel all evil. And Cordelia's in the bathroom and she's lighting her candle and saying the same thing, but she adds, I shall totally confront and expel all evil. (laughs) Which is better. Which is way better. It's way, way more intense. And Buffy's lighting hers and saying it as is Xander and they're saying out of marrow and bone, out of house and home, never to come here again. All of their candles blow out all at once and it's very calm and quiet and we all think, oh, good, it worked, great. But then a giant swarm of bugs, wasps, I think they're wasps, they come aggressively flying down the hallway like a swarm, like a, like a cloud of them. And all the Scoobies run out onto the road as the swarm of wasps surrounds the school, not letting anything in or out. And Xander says, school's out for good. So... We go back to Buffy's. It must be like 1230 a.m. at night. Where's Joyce? (laughs) Why isn't Joyce (laughs) home? She's probably Um, on a hot date getting stoned somewhere. Oh, I hope so. I I, but at the same time, it's like, uh, Joyce, the librarian is at your house again. (laughs) Again. So Giles is saying they've established that James is a spirit. He's obviously reliving the night of the Sadie Hawkins dance when he killed Miss Newman. And it's common for spirits to do this, to recreate a tragedy. And Cordelia asks if Sunnydale High School shuts down forever, do they automatically graduate? So Cordelia, once again, just throwing in some comic relief. (laughs) 
and asking the important questions. Buffy says that James wants forgiveness. And Giles says, yes, James is experiencing a form of purgatory. He's doomed to kill Miss Newman over and over again. And forgiveness is impossible. And Buffy says that he doesn't deserve it. And Giles says to forgive is an act of compassion. It's not done because people deserve it. It's done because they need it. I think this is a very nicely delivered line. However, I do not agree with what Giles is saying about forgiveness. And, you know, obviously forgiveness is a big theme at the end of this episode. But I think forgiveness is something... Okay, so everyone needs forgiveness in some way, right? But if someone has hurt you and wronged you, I do think that they need to put effort into making it right or making amends or changing something before you can give them forgiveness. So it's more like, you know... It is compassion, but it it also is done if you deserve it. Like, if you need it, that's when you give forgiveness to. I don't know if I agree with what he's saying. Oh, I think what he's saying is a very toxic message. Okay, good. Yeah, (laughs) he really just has summed up the whole way we've perverted the idea of forgiveness in our society. These days, if somebody apologizes to you or makes especially like a very public apology, we sometimes teach people, we sometimes pressure people into accepting apologies and forgiving people when the person who has been wronged isn't ready to do that. Yeah. And I I think it's so important that we teach people that if somebody wrongs you, you do not owe them forgiveness if you're not ready. You know, I think there is some truth to the idea that forgiving somebody who has wronged you, even somebody who has terribly harmed you can set you free from that trauma. However, I don't think that needs to be a requirement. And and I think we as a society really need to think critically about the messages we send people around this idea of forgiveness. Sometimes you are not ready to forgive. Mm -hmm. You're going to hold a grudge. Sometimes people don't deserve your forgiveness for exactly the reasons that you pointed out, Steph. So I disagree with Giles. However, I I think that this scene is another one of those great scenes, just like earlier in the episode, where we have the different perspectives coming out, represented by the different characters. And I think what Xander says, of all people, what Xander says in a moment is probably the most poignant aspect of this scene. So after Giles delivers the nice little toxic line, uh, Buffy, you know, says, James, like, destroyed this person that he claims he loved, right? And she uses the phrase in a moment of blind passion. And that's obviously she's referring back to like her and Angel. <laughs> she's projecting, yes. Um, and she says, this isn't something you could forgive. So she's kind of coming down on the side that I just articulated, right? Of mm-hmm. like, there are things that are unforgivable or things where you may not be ready to forgive. Uh, and, and she's saying that like, he knows that what he did was wrong. He knows it was selfish, but he's got to live with it. And Xander picks up on that last line and he says, Buff, that's the problem. He can't live with it because he's dead. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a valid point. Like, I-, I think what makes this situation different is because James and Grace are dead, they don't grow. You know, this is the fundamental difference between the living and the dead is the living have the ability to grow and learn and change. Mm-hmm. The dead don't. The undead, like our vampire friends, 
uh, that question is up in the air. And I think that's one of the things that this series explores is to what extent can our undead soulless creatures grow and change. But, you know, I think Xander's point is very valid is in order to resolve this situation, they have to find a way to give James closure. It may not be forgiveness necessarily, but it has to be enough to let him move on. Mm-hmm. You said that so wonderfully and so much smoother than I ever could, but I completely agree with you. It's just so interesting that Buffy, because this is the sentence here, right? When she says he destroyed the person he loved the most in a moment of blind passion, like you said, she's talking about surprise when she had sex with Angel and he lost his soul. And I can't help but remember, because surprise was such a good episode in my eyes, right before they had sex, Angel tried to stop it. And he said, maybe we shouldn't. And she was like, don't just kiss me. Angel tried to stop it, but Buffy was the one that wanted to keep going. So obviously Buffy's projecting onto this situation with James. Why should she be forgiven? Yeah. But the thing is, it's like no one's blaming you, Buffy. Like Willow said that earlier. It wasn't even your fault what happened with Angel. Like You loved your boyfriend and you had sex with him and that's all you did. But Buffy simply cannot forgive herself, just like James the ghost cannot. Buffy stomps away. And Cordelia proves once again that she is the most underappreciated Scooby here. She says, okay, over-identify much? <laughs> Cordelia is not stupid. You know, we no. make fun of her <laughs> for her somewhat ignorant comments sometimes. But when it really matters, Cordelia can put two and two together. Oh, Cordelia has said nothing but truth the last two episodes. And uh, Buffy goes to the kitchen and she pulls out her the Sadie Hawkins dance poster in her pocket. And she suddenly hears, I need you. And she walks out the door into the night. And remember, we heard this in the library, but it was a woman's voice, which is very interesting. So let's hold on to that because I want to I want to bring that up again later. Willow asks if they can go into the school again. And Giles says the spirit is too angry and powerful and they have to figure out how how it can be defeated. That's when Willow notices that Buffy is gone and she tells Giles that she went back to the school. And sure enough, Buffy walks into the school and the wasps or the bugs that surround the school open the way for her and she walks right in. So the Scoobies are outside the school and Cordelia is saying, she like, I don't get it. Is she trying to be some big loner hero or something? <laughs> Cordelia is so funny in this episode. And Giles says she's under the spirit's thrall. He's calling her. James needs her to reenact everything so that he can change things and have a happy ending. Just like you said earlier, Kara, that uh, they, she, he needs closure. He's seeking closure. That's why he's doing this. And Willow says, but that means Buffy went in there to get shot. And Giles says, but the school's deserted. So that's plus side, right? The school, no one's in there. So there's no way that James can play his part. And there's no man inside for him to possess. So in theory, Buffy's safe until they can figure out how to get her out of there. So we cut to Buffy wandering the school halls. And oh my God, Angelus is there. Angelus went to the school probably because Drusilla told him where Buffy was going to be based on her vision earlier. Or he could smell her. Or he could smell her. And he got in because the wasps don't affect him because he's dead apparently. I call bullshit on that. I think that James was working his little magic in the realm Could of be. supernaturalness and got mm-hmm. Drusilla to have a vision and she sent <laughs> Angel there and that and he opened the wasp door for him as well. You know, it's destiny. Okay. <laughs> You're like, sure, Steph. 
whatever you want. <laughs> I remember I remember very clearly watching this episode for the first time. Actually, I'm pretty sure this was one of the first episodes of Buffy I've ever seen in my life was this episode hmm. back when I was a child. I caught it on YTV. I'm pretty sure that this moment when Angelus shows up and Buffy and him are at the school, I think this is probably a moment where maybe new watchers might realize that, oh, I get it. Like maybe it was a little bit like, oh, here's just like your story of the week thing, but maybe here's where they see the parallels coming in. It's like, oh, of course, Buffy and Angel, because Angelus has not been near Buffy at all this episode mm-hmm. or or even last episode, except for the very beginning. So Buffy starts doing the whole script that you and I so wonderfully reenacted earlier. She says, you know, you're the only one, the only person I can talk to. And at first, Angelus is really amused by this and he calls her pathetic and we start to wonder, like, oh, is this even going to work on a demon? Because Angelus very clearly came here to kill her. Because he even says, like, oh, I, this tonight's special. As in, like, I'm done. I'm here to actually kill you this time. But then as he gets closer to her, and you might actually start thinking, is Buffy in serious danger here? He, he gets taken over as well by the spirit. And this is the gender swap, right? Buffy is James. And Angelus is Miss Newman. And that makes a lot of sense because James is the scorned lover, as is Buffy, right? The heartbroken lover. And Angelus is going to be the older person that's breaking up with them. So it makes sense. Angela says, I just wanted you, I just want you to be able to have a normal life. And they start doing the whole thing. And as they're doing this, it keeps flashing back to the real James and Miss Newman and Buffy and Angel at the same time. I'm so impressed with the two of them and their acting in this scene i think it's so good and it's not melodramatic it's just it's done exactly right i agree like they're both bringing their a game here because you you know you've got the gender swapping going on Mm -hmm. but then it's it's also about the passion and the emotion that goes into it and how they have a tough job because they're not just redoing the script that we've already established. You know, we've seen that. They have to say the same words that those other actors said, but they also have to infuse this additional layer of meaning with regards to Buffy and Angel's past as well, right? So, you know, because the show isn't going to come out directly and say, okay, Buffy is James, Angel is Grace. So they have to communicate it in the way that Sarah Michelle Geller and David Boreanaz are acting and that's tough and it's a lot it demands a lot from them yeah and this is the most we've demanded we <laughs> you and I personally demanded this of David Boreanaz uh, but this is the most that the show has demanded of David Boreanaz in terms of emotion yeah because it's Angel, it's David Boreanaz playing a vampire who had a soul who's lost his soul <laughs> who is possessed by the ghost of a teenage boy who killed his teacher lover. That is a lot. He nails it. I was really taken up. This is where I shed the tear. I was like, I'm feeling this, you guys. Like, this is, I know this is James and Miss Newman, but this is Buffy and Angel. Yeah. I miss this. I miss Angel. I haven't said this in a couple episodes, but like I miss my Angel boy because I love Angel so Mm -hmm. much. And here I'm getting a little taste and it's heartbreaking. (laughs) And especially when it's when Buffy says, you don't love me anymore. Is that it? Like, tell me you don't love me. A person doesn't just wake up and stop loving somebody. And this is where I was like, <laughs> like when I was watching. That's literally what happened. It's literally what happened to Buffy. And she woke up and he was gone. And we're literally watching 
a breakup. We're watching the breakup that Buffy never got. She never got this conversation with an angel because he had already turned into a demon. So as much as, you know, it's it's James living through Buffy, like you said, there's that layer that like this totally applies to them too. And it's like, oh, it's so sad. So Buffy pulls out the gun. She says, love is forever. If I can't be with you. And then <laughs> Angela starts to run away and she's like, don't make me. <laughs> and they run out to the be- to the balcony and Buffy shoots him. The Scoobies outside hear the shot and they're like, oh God. And Angel falls back off the balcony and dies, you know, metaphorically dies at the at the bottom on the stairs. And Buffy slowly walks down the hall into the music room with the gun. But we see that Angel opens his eyes because he's a vampire. (laughs) And, you know, guns, even if they're mystical guns, don't kill him. So Buffy is putting on the stereo, which is playing, I only have eyes for you. Shabop, shabop. (laughs) This is a Glee podcast. Um, Uh, Well done, Stephanie. Well (laughs) done. (laughs) I do love me some Motown. So... She's looking in the mirror and it's James staring back and Sarah Michelle Gellar gives the best cry face of the show. Like it looks so good. And she's raising the gun to her head and that's when Angel stops her. He comes in and he says, don't do this. And it's obviously Miss Newman speaking through Angel's body and Buffy's crying and she's like, but I killed you. He says it was an accident. It wasn't your fault. And she says, it is my fault. And he says, I'm the one who should be sorry. You thought I stopped loving you, but I never did. I loved you with my last breath. <laughs> oh God, no more tears. So here it is, right? Like Buffy says, like, I know, I know it's James. Like, I know it's James, but we need to see the parallel that Buffy's actually saying this. It's like she has a small brief window where she can talk to Angel again with his soul. And she says, I killed you. And like, that's the crux of Buffy's guilt when it comes to having sex with Angel. It's not just that he lost his soul. She truly feels like she killed her boyfriend, right? And now Mm -hmm. it's a demon walking around in his body. Like, she's like, I'm the reason you're gone forever. Ugh, Buffy, (laughs) you poor thing. So they start to kiss. And as they kiss, a big white light wraps around them, which symbolizes that James's spirit is now set free because he received forgiveness from Grace. And as they kiss and the white light goes away, you might be prone to be like, oh my God, is Angel back? Because Buffy says Angel, like really hopefully. And of course he growls, he shoves her away and runs off. And it's so sad. So later, Giles is in the library. As the Scoobies come in, they say everything's back to normal. School can reopen tomorrow. And Giles goes to check in on Buffy and asks if if she's feeling better and Buffy is obviously not feeling better and she says James picked me I guess I was the one he could relate to and he was so sad and Mm -hmm. Giles says that they can both rest now and Buffy says a part of me doesn't understand why she would forgive him and Giles says does it matter and Buffy says no I guess not so do you think Buffy has forgiven herself now no. Okay. So you think she's still holding that? I don't I don't think it's possible for Buffy to forgive herself, you know? <laughs> I think this this is such a traumatic experience for her. We have to remember she's so young. This was her first serious relationship. I don't think she has the time and distance from the event to allow herself to forgive herself. Maybe in 
two years, maybe in five years, once mm-hmm. she's grown up, she's had some more adult experiences, then I think maybe she's going to be able to look back at herself with compassion. Mm-hmm. But at this point, I don't think she has that maturity and wisdom that comes with time and distance from an event to look at herself with that compassion. That's a really good point. I do feel like Giles has gotten there before Buffy, obviously. I I agree with you. I don't think that Buffy has forgiven herself by the end of this episode. Obviously, James got forgiveness and was able to let go and move on. Giles is able to start letting go of Jenny. He accepted that it's not her, that he's never going to see her Mm -hmm. again. And with that comes closure. So Giles is starting to move on. But mm-hmm. Buffy, I, I agree. I don't think Buffy has forgiven herself. I think this really rocked her boat <laughs> today. I think this really rocked her. And she's in the process of getting to that point, perhaps. Like a couple, like you said, more time, mm-hmm. more space, more experience, more maturity. But um, unfortunately, Buffy is still, to me, in that place of not forgiving herself, feeling guilty, and not knowing where to go from here. So... This is when we cut to the garden of the mansion and Angelus is furiously and aggressively cleaning himself with water. And he's saying that he was friggin' violated and the thing was in him. And Drusilla asks what it was. Was it a demon? And he says it was love. And he's like, let's get out of here. I need a vile kill before sunup to get this crap out of my system. And I want to pay very close attention to this because... Angelus is saying that love is what he felt this night. It wasn't a spirit possession. He felt love. And it's mm-hmm. disgusting. It's it's disgusted <laughs> him. Like it's literally he's like, I, I, can't, I gotta rip off my skin. It's so disgusting, right? It's like being forced to feel something for Buffy slash James and feel that love and forgiveness, that human forgiveness and that human compassion. I think... Maybe Angelus got a little glimpse into what it felt like to have a soul again. So maybe perhaps Mm -hmm. we did get Angel back for a second there. Well, because if Grace's soul were in Angel's body, right, then Angel technically had a, like he was sharing a soul, right? Like you could say that. Yeah. So I think this is interesting because we've had a little bit of an ongoing kind of debate on this podcast about whether or not creatures without souls can feel love. Mm-hmm. You know, and I initially took the position that no, like vampires cannot feel love. And I, I was mostly basing that off of my experiences from other supernatural TV series. And, you know, our listeners, some of our listeners have written in and pushed back on that point and kind of come up with examples that they think represent vampires being in love, which fair enough, like this is a very interesting discussion to me. Mm-hmm. However, you know, Angelus' reaction in this scene really kind of emphasizes for me that even if vampires do feel something towards one another or towards another person, is that love when Angelus so clearly despises this emotion? You know, he calls it out by name and he says, I felt love and I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, like, so, so can vampires feel love? demonic possessions souls temporary souls aside like if if this emotion is so toxic and poisonous to them is what they feel for somebody else actually love or is it as i kind of opined earlier is it really just lust and sexual attraction 
mixed together in a way that we might mistake for the emotion of love, but it isn't because they so clearly dislike it. Yeah, it, it's an almost case by case basis in some ways. I, I like your argument here. I, I do lean more on the side when you say that it's a lust feeling and it has shadows of love, but it's not quite mm -hmm. human love, which is how we experience it. But I think you can make a case for either way. And I think it's just, mm -hmm. I could also just be that Angelus himself is missing all of his humanity. Because remember the judge? The judge was like, you guys have humanity. And this guy reads, he's got humanity. This guy doesn't have any humanity, right? So maybe okay, Angelus. Okay, but I'm starting to think the judge is full of shit. <laughs> and, you know, he just, he looked at the spike and he's like, well, I don't like the look of you. And then he looks at Angel with his cool coat and slicked back black hair. He's like, you, you look like a cool guy. This like, guy. We don't really know the judge can sense the relative levels of humanity in people. It's he true. might just be bullshitting us. Yeah, he could have just saw Spike and was like, whiner. And then he saw Angelus with his swagger. And he's like, He's like, you're the guy. cool guy. I'm going to suck up one. to you. <laughs> so I'm just saying, like, perhaps it's just Angelus himself who just happens to be like a 100% demon i'm yeah. not sure there's two sides to it i think you can definitely argue for both it's just so fascinating that a little tiny taste of what having a soul feels like again mm -hmm. it's shaking angelus to his core and this realization and this experience is going to matter and impact the last few episodes of this season so we need to pay attention to his reaction tonight to this event Drusilla says if he needs a vile kill, they'll find a toddler tonight. And I was like, it is like 4 a.m. Where are you going to find a toddler just wandering around outside? <laughs> but as they leave, Drusilla's like, Spike, you want to come? But Angela says they have to travel light. And then he says, sorry, try to have fun without me. And he's just like really rubbing it in that him and Drusilla are going to go off together. And once again, Spike is left behind. The message is clear. Three is a crowd. <laughs> you know what I mean? So as they leave, Spike grins and he says, I will. And then he stands up. Oh, shit, he's alive. So he, <laughs> he kicks his wheelchair and he says, sooner than you think. The episode ends with that twist that Spike is all dun, healed dun, up. Dun. Dun, dun, dun. Now, I do want to, before we end, I do want to say... Um, because remember, Giles heard, I need you. And Buffy heard, mm -hmm. I need you. And we talked about how Giles is further along in his processing of grief. Just like he's grieving Jenny, Buffy's grieving Angel because she, to her, he's dead. So I think originally James, the spirit, was calling out to Giles and feeling a sense of Giles's lack of forgiveness and Giles's need mm -hmm. for closure but in the end he ultimately chose buffy because buffy was the one that's that's not as further along in that grieving stage and i think that's such an interesting thing to think about that the spirit itself was like seeking out others that were grieving and feeling guilty yeah. and like this episode is so well written in this way i don't know like i don't know where you're ever gonna find another show that has this catharsis for its characters in this way you know like it's just so interesting to think about there's so many layers to this episode that i never considered mm -hmm. before i never noticed that in my past watchings that like i need you and like why it came to giles and why it came to buffy too and those are the only two characters that it talked to like that buffy and giles have quite the journey ahead of them <laughs> and this season has been very hard for them so 
I'm just jumping right into it. Buffy and Giles are my hero this episode. Mm -hmm. They're both finding closure in their own ways. I'm happy that Giles got a little bit closer to that in this episode, as hard as it, as it is for him. And you you know that Buffy's my hero, no matter what. And <laughs> I'm rooting for her, and I feel for her, and I've never known a more compelling woman on TV than Buffy Summers. So she's Ooh. my hero in this episode. Um, My hero. So I was like, originally, I'm like, I don't know if I have a hero. Because this this episode was kind of on rails. Um, you know, Buffy and Angel, I don't know how much they contributed to the resolution of things, but I ended up choosing Willow. I think Willow's my hero, you know, because all throughout this episode, she is on top of shit. From the very first scene all the way through to the end, you know, she steps up and fills the void. First, she filled the void of Jenny, and she's teaching and probably not being paid for that. <laughs> but she, she also filled the void that Giles left in this episode, right? Like, when they gather at Buffy's house, Willow is in charge. She's the research girl. So I, I really admire the way that Willow very easily took on that responsibility. Great. All right. So we have some hot stakes. And Maria wrote in specifically for I Only Have Eyes for you. Shabop, shabop. And thank you, Maria, for sending it so early and in time for us to read it out for this episode. Maria says, this is my favorite season two episode, one of my favorites of the entire series. It has a depth to it that we only appreciate over time, and it makes us feel even more for Buffy as a character. I love the way the episode builds up to the final confrontation between Angel and Buffy as the ghosts, like it was something inevitable that we ha just had to watch. The glimpse of the man Buffy loved was all she needed to forgive herself for killing her boyfriend in a moment of blind passion, just like James did with Grace. The parallels between the two couples are endless, and that final scene in the music room is a real tearjerker for me. It's an echo of the love that Buffy and Angel shared and exactly what our heroine needed, despite her thinking that she didn't deserve it. The things that Grace says to James represents that when Angel died, he loved Buffy until his last breath before becoming Angelus, as we saw the last thing he said before he lost his soul was her name. Yeah. Wow. Love it. <laughs> love it. You know I love a good Buffy and Angel shipper. <laughs> but more importantly... I really like what Maria was saying about Buffy needing to forgive herself. And I think you and I fell down to the point where we don't think she's quite there yet. But this was the first step to doing that. It's so true that when Angel, as Ms. Newman says, I loved you until my last breath. We know that Angel did. We know that Angel loved Buffy up until he lost his soul. But Buffy needs to be reminded of that. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> Our second hot steak is from Hannah and her dad via TikTok. Uh, and she's talking about Oz and specifically about that scene with Oz in Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered, where he talks. Well, first he punches Xander in the face. Uh, and then he talks about how he felt the need or the urge to do that because of the way Willow was crying to him on the phone about Xander all night. Yeah. So Hannah says, I was talking to my dad about Oz's punch, and I said that I thought it was purposefully out of character because the magic of the spell was spilling over into the men, making them extra jealous. Because wouldn't Xander subconsciously want the jealousy and respect of the men in the school, as well as the love and adoration of the girls? 
they're living on the Hellmouth. The magic is going to go wild on everyone. So I, I think that's a really interesting take, Hannah. Thank you for suggesting that. Uh, and then Hannah goes on to say, my dad thought I, it was just Oz acting out because boys sometimes do stupid things because of emotions. He also said, which I thought you'd love, if Oz is only going to throw one punch in his life, that would be an understandable reason. <laughs> my dad is hopping on the Xander Slander train. Don't judge the writers for finally having someone punch Xander, which, you know. Fair. 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 Fair, Hannah. <laughs> So, uh, thanks guys, everyone, as you know, we always record about two weeks in advance. So if you ever have a hot steak for an episode that's upcoming and you want to send it in time, just keep that in mind and do the math. <laughs> Don't ask me to do the math for you. <laughs> well, I'm, well, we're, we're coming up on the end of season two. So we'll be mm -hmm. doing our, um, wrap up season two and review episode as we did for season one. So if you do send in a hot steak and it doesn't quite make it in for the specific episode, we might get to it in the season two wrap up as well. All right. Thanks everyone. Ship up, ship up. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. We invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and Prophecy underscore Girls on Twitter. You can also reach out to our email at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca. See you next week. Bye.